1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in.
2: It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here's your top five at five. Riding high, the squid. Netflix says it added more users than expected in what's typically a slow quarter for the streaming giant, but was it enough to boost the stock? Speaking of surges, Bitcoin closing in on all time high as the first ever Bitcoin tracking ETF beginning trade on Wall Street. And taking a page from Google's playbook, Facebook reportedly embarking on a global rebranding of its company. We'll tell you what that looks like. And fresh fun Milken, an exclusive one-on-one with former Saudi energy minister and former Saudi Aramco chairman, his take on the global energy crisis and the push to its ESG lifting the velvet rope, the FDA getting ready to expand. Who is eligible to receive a COVID-19 booster vaccine? It is Wednesday, October 20th, 2021, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Sima Modi in for Brian Sullivan at this hour. Let's kick off Wednesday, with a look at U.S. stock futures, we're basically mixed at this point with the S&P 500 up fractionally. The Dow Jones Industrial up 13 points. The Nasdaq right now indicated lower by around 8 points. The yield on the 10-year has been a big focus ahead of the Fed meeting. Let's take a look at what we're yielding right now. 1.64 percent on the 10-year yield. Cryptocurrencies captivating the attention. It's now hovering, Bitcoin that is, below its record all-time high just one day after the public market debut of the first Bitcoin futures ETF. We're looking at Bitcoin trading slightly lower but still above 64,000. And your stock of the morning right now is Netflix. This morning after posting solid beats on earnings and subscribers, adding 4.4 million new paying users in the third quarter versus the expected three point eight. Sales were in line. Much more on this and the success of its hit Squid Game later this hour and why the stock is down about 2 percent here in extended trade. Around the world we go now. A mixed picture overnight in Asia and a very busy morning for Europe. So let's send it over to Juliana Tadelbaum in London for a look at what's moving in Europe. Juliana.
3: Good morning. It certainly has been a busy morning on the earnings front. And in terms of overall trade, we started out a really mixed picture for European stocks. But over the last hour or so, positive momentum has been building. And the majority of regions now are trading higher. So the Swiss market out in front, nearly a nine tenths of a percent higher. Still a little bit of red on the board for the CAC 40 and the FTSE 100. But overall, we are seeing investors put more money into the market. Now, speaking of earnings, let me highlight three of the reporters this morning, three of the big ones. Nestle has raised its full year outlook, now expecting up to 7% organic growth. Nestle shares trading toward the top of the stock 600, up 3.4%. Over in the pharmaceutical space, strong demand for COVID 19 tests drove Roche sales up 8% over the uh, previous nine months. The Swiss drug maker lifted its full year outlook, having previously predicted a slowdown in demand for its tests in the second half of the year. Roche shares muted performance down about four tenths of a percent. And finally, in the luxury space, Caring underperforming down nearly 4%. Caring's main fashion house, Gucci, grew sales by just under 4% in the third quarter, missing analyst expectations as the recovery slowed in Asia. I'll hand it back over to you. Juliana, thanks.
2: And to some of this morning's top corporate stories, Union Pacific and its labor unions are suing each other to determine whether the railroad has the authority to require its employees to get vaccinated against COVID-19. The unions argue companies should have negotiated with them before announcing it would require all employees to get the shots. Union Pacific says it believes it has the authority to require the vaccine because it sets standards for when employees are fit for duty. Netflix co-CEO Ted Sarandos says he, quote, screwed up in his efforts to communicate with employees who were upset over Dave Chappelle's latest comedy special, The Closer, as special some view as offensive to the transgender community. In an interview, Sarandos says, quote, I should have recognized the fact that a group of our employees were really hurting. And according to Reuters, a coalition of investors with more than $60 trillion in assets under management is reportedly preparing to call on electric utility companies to globally improve their timeline by as much as 15 years to bring their net greenhouse gas emissions to zero. Utilities account for about 40% of emissions worldwide. More on that sector coming up on the show. And when we come back, your big money movers, including shares of Brinker International, sinking in pre-market. We'll tell you why ahead. Plus two interviews fresh from the Milken Conference in Los Angeles. The CEO of Cowan talking crypto and his outlook for U.S. equities. And the former Saudi energy minister and former Saudi Aramco chairman Khaled Al-Fali on the global energy move we've seen as of late. And later, RBC Capital's Lori Kalsavina, her take on the value trade and if it has room to run going into 2022. We've got a busy hour here on Worldwide Exchange. Don't go away.
4: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number
2: time now for your big money movers three stock stories of the morning and first up brinker international shares as you can see are tumbling after the parent company of chili's and other restaurant chains says its first quarter margins and bottom line were hit by labor issues and higher commodity costs brinker says it's increasing focus on hiring and keeping employees and working with partners to stabilize its supply chain shares down twelve percent right now stock two is united airlines it reported a smaller third quarter loss but A resurgence in COVID cases slowed bookings and drove up cancellations, disrupting the airline's plan to return to profit. However, United CEO says recent headwinds are turning into tailwinds. Fourth quarter revenue is expected to recover up to 75 percent of 2019 levels. CEO of United, Scott Kirby, will be on Squawk Box in a first on CNBC interview at 7.45 a.m. Eastern. And finally, I want to draw your attention to shares of WD-40. The stock is dropping by as much as 12 percent after the maker of cleaning products reported fourth quarter earnings that missed forecasts. Revenue also coming in below estimates. The company hit by higher costs for goods and expenses for sales and promotions. Market volatility, economic uncertainty and wavering sentiment are all leading to more investor anxiety. That's according to Investopedia, which has been surveying its millions of daily readers for the past 18 months on sentiment, fears and what they are doing with their money. Let's bring in the editor in chief, Caleb Silver, joining us now with the latest survey results. What's the the biggest uh, standout in this survey, Caleb?
6: Good morning and good to be with you. And investors called a little bit of a high anxiety with some turbulence. You mix those two together and investors are waving the caution flag, according to our readers. And as you said, we've been surveying them since really before the pandemic began. This is the first time back besides April of 2020, when they felt really cautious. So we have about 45% of our readers who are are somewhat too extremely worried about the stock market right now. 34% are expecting a significant drop in the next six months. That's up 10 percentage points since the last time we surveyed them in August. 25% say they're investing less now than they were back in May, and only 15% say they're investing more. We have a lot of folks moving to cash as well.
2: Caleb, that's interesting. What do you think is behind this investor anxiety Is it the Federal Reserve, the prospect of higher interest rates, the supply chain issues that many companies, including Procter & Gamble um, and the travel companies are referencing as of late?
6: Yeah, it's the supply chain issues, and I found that interesting that it was the overwhelming response, about 53% of our readers citing the supply chain concerns as the number one reason they're worried about the market falling off in the next few months here. About 43% are worried about more government spending. They may or may not get that, but government spending, usually good for stocks. 41% cited inflation, but only 29% citing COVID. So investors, our readers at least, are a little beyond that, thinking about what could happen to bring down their returns. And they think it's the supply chain because they're hearing it over and over again.
2: If market participants are becoming more worried about the trajectory of this market, where we go from here, how do you explain the recent rebound in the S&P 500 now just 1% away from a record high?
6: Yeah, a little bit of a melt up, but also some good news in the last week or so. You've got the travel restrictions being dropped here in the United States and that we're going to be allowing visitors in in November. You have the FDA panel recommending the approval of additional vaccines. You have that kind of good news, but you still have the disconnects in the labor market. That said, It's the big money that moves markets. Our readers, our individual investors, pretty active investors, they've kind of stuck with it. And that said, they've seen this market rally up in the last week as well. So there's a little bit of confusion about which direction it's going. But I think the, the fact that so many think that we're expecting a market drop in the next six months, that could weigh on sentiment going forward.
2: Is sentiment around Bitcoin changing as of late, given the recent uh, surge we've seen now at 64,000?
6: Yeah, absolutely. We ask our readers every time we survey them where the biggest bubbles are. And the biggest bubbles, in their mind, are in crypto and in the U.S. housing market. Of course, this was, you know, we finished the survey Thursday of last week. Bitcoin shot up about 6%, 7% since then, still going, obviously, with the approval of the uh, Bitcoin futures. But they think that Bitcoin and the U.S. housing market are the biggest bubbles. Next is stocks at 32%, 20% say NFTs, but only 8% said commodities commodities is where a lot of bubbles are right now that affects obviously pricing that affects inflation so it's interesting that they picked crypto and the housing market both you could argue might be in a little bit of bubble territory
2: so this survey suggests to you that investors see oil prices moving lower from here not not going higher
6: Well, they thought that they they didn't expect the bubble to be in the commodity area, but also I don't think they're expecting $100 oil. These are investors who really favor stocks, especially the big blue chips, the big dividend-paying stocks. So their concerns are really about what happens if we can't get goods through the supply chain more than they are about if we get $90 oil, $100 oil. But they are concerned, more concerned than they've been in months.
2: Yeah, WTI crude currently at $84 uh, at this hour. Caleb, good stuff. Thanks for joining us today. Caleb Silver of Investopedia. Still on deck, Facebook looking to take a page out of Google's playbook, reportedly weighing a global rebranding campaign. We've got the full story when Worldwide Exchange returns.
7: Today's
0: big number, 33%. That's how much the Mortgage Bankers Association estimates mortgage originations will drop in 2022 because of rising rates. The group expects the rate on the 30-year fix to jump a full point to 4% in that period.
2: Welcome back. The 24th annual Milken Institute Global taking place this week in Los Angeles. And our own Brian Sullivan is there on the ground. He caught up with Cowan CEO Jeffrey Solomon, asking him about getting people back in the office and his outlook on stocks.
1: What's your plan to get people back to the office and also business travel? Everybody's like, it'll never come back. Looks like it's back here. What's your plan as a boss?
4: Yeah, so we'll be back with a degree of density probably beginning more in November. Uh, I think we, we wanted to see how the Delta variant played out, and I think it's uh, we'll be back. We'll be vaccinated only in the office, uh, and it's really important for people to start to gather again and reconnect. What about getting it. on a plane? Uh, if people want to get on planes, they're free to do it, and if clients want to see us, we'll be out. That's that's part of the business. I, I don't think it will quite be as intense as it used to be. So there'll be elements of our business that won't require in person meetings, like drafting sessions for IPOs. it's hard to make the argument that everybody needs to be sitting in the same room. It's been incredibly efficient with everybody not sitting in the same room. So I think there'll be elements of our business that will change and that won't go back to that. But there's nothing like seeing people in face-to-face and making that kind of personal connection. So I do think business travel will be back to some degree. All
1: conference long, we've been talking to people about how they feel about the markets, whether it's on camera or in the hallway here. The consensus, and I'm going to summarize dramatically here, Jeff, seems to be I can make the bear case for stocks but it wouldn't matter. Everybody seems to kind of just be like resigned, almost frustrated by the fact that stocks are most likely headed continued higher. What's your market view?
4: You know, first of all, I think there'll be volatility. We've got, we've got some so. pretty big events occurring between now and the end of the year. We've got to make sure that infrastructure gets done in some capacity. That's a big unknown. There'll be what goes in that bill, what doesn't go in that bill. The market's going to want to watch that. I think the Powell renomination discussion will be an interesting one for the market to digest um, just because it's an unknown. Uh, we, we know he's going to be renominated or we know there will there'll be a new Fed chair potentially that gets, that needs to get results. So you
1: guys made a deal with standard guarantee You're a custodian now meaning actually holding assets. Somebody last night we were talking and they said that the institutional game, rich family offices, big institutions, they're not in the first inning of crypto. They're they're they're, they're waiting for the game to start.
4: Yeah, they're largely on deck.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Where where are we in in the institutional crypto cycle and when that hits, what's going to happen to crypto?
4: Yeah, so maybe the first pitch got thrown and everybody's waiting to get into the game. I, I think that custody is a big solve for a lot of institutions that have fiduciary responsibility. The current offerings where you have fully integrated offerings between exchanges and traders and custodians, that doesn't work for a lot of people in the institutional game, and it's hard to make the argument that those custody solutions that are in the market today for retail investors will work for institutions. In fact, we've heard pretty consistently that they don't work. So we made this investment in standard in part because we think that's a big part of the unlock to gathering um, you know, client engagement and client involvement uh, in crypto, which I think is gonna happen. It's, it's, it's a virtual certainty over the next three years. There'll be much more meaningful institutional involvement in crypto than there is today.
2: Interesting to hear what Solomon had to say there on crypto. Worth noting, Bitcoin uh, now up about 31% just in the last two months. Our thanks to Brian Sullivan and Cowan CEO Jeffrey Solomon. Ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, much more from Milken and exclusive one-on-one with former Saudi Aramco chairman Khalid Al-Fali. We'll be right back. Stocks are looking to keep the winning streak going with another round of high-profile earnings on tap today. Tesla among those set to report as the EV automaker's shares march back towards record highs. And call it a squid game boost as the hit show helps lift Netflix earnings and subscriber figures. It is Wednesday, October 20th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan on this Wednesday. Here's a look at stock futures. We are halfway through the 5 a.m. hour in New York. And stocks did close higher yesterday with the S&P 500 posting its fifth straight winning streak. Thanks to strong earnings, those better than expected numbers from Johnson & Johnson. Right now, futures are indicating a lower open, but just marginally. The Nasdaq down eight points, Dow Jones lower by two points. We are keeping a very close eye on the price of Bitcoin. We were just talking about it hovering just below its all-time high of $64,899. That is a level that it hit back in mid-April. It's currently trading right around $64,034 here, as you can see, uh, slightly higher now. This, of course, coming one day after the ProShares Bitcoin Futures ETF went live on the public market. This is the first ETF of, of its kind, a modest gain yesterday by around 3%, currently trading flat at this hour. To some of this morning's other top stories, U.S. health officials are reportedly expected to expand the age range for Americans who should receive COVID booster shots. According to CNN, people as young as 40 who received either the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines will be encouraged to get a third shot. The FDA last month authorized boosters for people 65 and older and other high risk individuals who got their second shot of Pfizer's vaccine at least six months ago. Activision Blizzard says it's more than 20 employees over allegations of sexual harassment and discrimination. The video game publisher says 20 more people are facing other forms of disciplinary action as a result of a rise in reports on incidents ranging from years ago to present day. And President Biden reportedly ready to lower his price target for his economic spending package. According to reports, the president believes he can get a deal done if he reduces the price tag to around one point nine trillion dollars from more than three trillion currently. The reports come after the president met with progressive and moderate Democrats yesterday to try and lock up a deal. One stock to watch today is gonna be Netflix. Shares are trading down by around 1.7% here in pre-market trade. It initially jumped higher on third quarter results. Earnings did top expectations while revenue was right in line with estimates. Subscriber growth, that is always the key for Netflix. 4.4 million, well above the estimate. CEO Reed Hastings saying the streaming giant expects to nearly double that figure during this quarter as it gets a big bump from fresh content and big hits like Squid Game. Listen in.
4: Squid Game's incredible, but it's not that Ted commissioned it. The most incredible part is it's the system that Ted's built with highly distributed. (coughs) Um, You know, when it was one of our leaders in Korea two years ago that commissioned it, Um, And so there's got to be other amazing ones like that that even Ted or I or or any of us don't even yet know about.
2: For more on the company's results, I'm joined by Joel Kalina, head of technology and media training at Wedbush Securities. Joel, great to have you on this morning. Uh, Can Netflix deliver other big hits like Squid Game?
8: Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me on. I mean, yeah, that's kind of the I guess the million dollar question. I mean, I, I think I think Squid Games, one of those there it's an impossible situation or, or a hit show to forecast, right? You know, they acquired it for a relatively low amount, you know, around twenty one million dollars, and and boom, it's been obviously a hit across the globe. I think the bigger, longer-term story, story about Netflix is just kind of what they're doing with their, their recurring franchises we have. You know, Narcos Mexico is coming out with another uh, season later this year. Cobra Kai has another season. And then next year, you have Stranger Things. And Ozark coming coming uh, coming on back on again as well. They added Seinfeld on October 1st, which will help lower churn. So that's really the, the key to the story, just their continued success to reinvent, you know, their content. And obviously, they recently announced an acquisition on the video game side. Which is a way to kind of keep them relevant with the, the Gen, Gen Zers of the world as well. So, I mean, it's clearly Reed is is aware of the challenges, aware of the competition, and, and Netflix just seems to be one step ahead of the curve. And 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 I think with Squid Game, that kind of just highlights how early they've been in terms of non English English uh, content production and acquisitions.
2: Yeah, looking at subscriber growth, most of the new subscribers that were added this quarter came outside the U.S. Joel, uh, Asia Pacific region contributing 2.2 million in paid net new subscribers. What do you make of CEO Reed Hastings international strategy, his ability to continue to get new customers to to join Netflix at a time when there's competition, there's concerns about pricing power and whether uh, customers in some of these markets across Asia will, will spend uh, money to, to, to get a Netflix subscription when it's much cheaper to log into some of the domestic ones in their respective countries.
8: Yeah, that's that's going to be the one kind of issue. And and that's why i are seeing the sort of you know that you, you highlighted earlier, the pullback in the shares, you know, the sell the news reaction we're getting right now, it kind of highlights there's signs of saturation in in more developed countries. I think uh in US and Canada together, they only they've only added 88,000 subscribers year to date. Um and and clearly they're going to have to rely on growth from those lower arpu countries. And that's going to be the one problem. I still think there's there's pricing power in the model in North America, Western Europe, um, but that's going to be the interesting to see over the coming kind of twelve to twenty-four months. Will do they have the wiggle room to kind of raise prices, you know, in in India and in kind of Southeast Asia where they are kind of you know again acquiring that growth, but it's coming at a lower ARPU. So that's going to be kind of the wild card to the story, and I think that's why one of the reasons why the, the stock is lower. Um, again, signs of saturation, developed world, a little bit of sell the news reaction right. and you know, content spend in Q4 as well.
2: But there are a, an overwhelming number of buys on Wall Street uh, when looking at Netflix. And we've seen shares pop by as much as 20 percent in the past two months. As you point, you know, stock is down right now. What are you recommending clients? Do you buy on weakness? Do you wait this out? Or what's the trade?
8: I mean, I, I've actually heard on your program last night, I think on, on Fast Money, one of the panelists. Mm-hmm. Said, so I can't really take credit, but I thought it sums up really well. Netflix very rarely do they come out in over and under deliver. They do the exact opposite. So I think that eight and a half million sub number, number for Q4 and, and one of their strongest content slates uh, ever, according to them for the quarter, is 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 to me a reflection that they could easily surpass that number. Which you know, so again, we may have to wait a little bit to you know to to get the stock working again to the upside. But I think longer term. You know, they're still the gold standard in in streaming. You know, every one of their competitors of late has kind of talked down their streaming subs from Disney uh, to Comcast with Peacock, Discovery as well. And you're not hearing that kind of tone from Netflix, uh, which is very bullish. Free cash flow positive from 2022 and beyond. So the story is intact. Mm. Um, Again, just may take a little bit more time for here, again, given its relative outperformance over the past kind of two months or so.
2: Yeah, trading at 627 a share. Joel, I want to shift to another tech name. That we'll be in focus today, and that is Tesla reporting results after the bell. We've seen shares rise by as much as fifty percent since hitting their low for the year back in May, and now moving back towards that nine hundred dollar level. Could these results help propel Tesla to, to new record highs?
8: Yeah, I mean that that's a, it's funny because it's a very similar setup to Netflix. You know, like you said, the stock's up fifty to sixty percent since they bottomed in May. Uh, clearly, the bar has been raised. But I think we're, we're kind of Tesla stories different. And I think longer term, you want to be buying it probably into 2020. I think you want to be buying in 2022. China demand last quarter, it, it was fantastic. And that was kind of the highlight of their delivery number earlier in October. And, and they have, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, factories coming online more in ramping capacity in both Austin and Berlin. And that's the key to the story to kind of reduce, improve their margins, reduce some of the bottleneck issues that they've had, especially relying on, on Shanghai as an export hub. They can now, you know, kind of shift some of that delivery, deliveries, Europe out of their Berlin, Berlin factory. So I think the Netflix story or sorry, Tesla story is very interesting from here with what we're seeing in China and what they're doing in terms of production wise. And, And so far, they seem to be the only major auto OEM that can navigate this chip shortage with any sort of execution. And I think that's where kind of they're separating themselves from the pack right now. For anyone who says they're not a real auto company, they're not making enough cars. Well, clearly. Elon, Elon, a company is doing something right because their delivery numbers are hitting uh, street expectations.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. Right. Record deliveries at a time when so many automakers are facing supply chain shortages. It was interesting hearing from Kathy Wood, one of the big bulls, uh, of course, around Tesla uh, at the annual Milken Institute Global Conference. And she said it could at some point, Tesla could at some point be a part uh, of a new class of FANG stocks. Listen in.
5: We just want our clients to be exposed to the next fangs, which are not going to be in the fang category, but the next fangs. And Tesla, Tesla is becoming a fang. You know, I think I right. end up uh, in that grouping at some point. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we, we would sell. So our minimum hurdle rate of return expectation for a stock is 15% at an annual annualized rate over five years. So a doubling over five years. Um, Tesla is about nearly a quadrupling over five years, so right. well within our range.
2: What do you think? Is she right? Can Tesla join the 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 Fang trade?
8: I mean, fair enough. She's she's been dead right on the company. And funny enough, she's actually been selling into the Tesla strength over the past month or so. In terms of the stock, you know, quadrupling or whatever numbers she throws out there, I mean, that's a little bit of finger-in-the-air stuff uh, for me. And uh, you know, I wish she kind of focused on more Tesla stories versus kind of buying some of the lower quality names. She kind of continues to to add on to her losing positions. But, I mean, yeah, that's right. I, th- I think the Tesla story, and, and we'll look back on 2021 and, and really see where they separated themselves from the pack. And, and, and it just comes down to execution, you know, ramping at the right time. And, and then kind of, I guess, Elon just kind of doing what he's doing. He, we're, we're not hearing a lot of the nonsense that we've heard in years past. He's clearly just focused on kind of, you know, making great cars and hopefully— Uh, you know, capacity continues to ramp out of their new facilities.
2: Yeah, and this broader focus on ESG, the ramp up of electric vehicles, that just in general puts more focus on on companies like Tesla. Joel, good to see you today. Thanks for for joining us. Appreciate it. Joel Kalina of Wedbush. Turning to the ongoing global energy crunch, oil and gas prices grabbing much of the conversation, but it's not the only area getting a lift. Uranium stocks are rallying as investors give nuclear power another look cnbc.com's uh, pippa stevens is here with more pippa
7: good morning hey Seema, good morning well after years of investors shying away from the space uranium names are getting another look the power crunch playing out in europe and asia is prompting conversations about what the future grid looks like and some are betting nuclear power could play a larger role in the spot market uranium prices topped 50 bucks in september for the first time since 2012 according to data from U.X.C. Meanwhile, the North Shore Global Uranium Mining ETF and Global X Uranium ETF, two funds that track the space, have seen more than $1 billion in inflows this year. Both are up more than 20 percent for October, and the North Shore Fund, ticker URNM, has more than doubled this year. On a stock-specific basis, the biggest winners this month are Australian MicroCap names Bannerman Energy and Vimy Resources. Some of the larger players like Kazadimpram, Pram, Cameco and NextGen Energy are also seeing gains here. Seema? Big moves here. Pippa, I'm wondering, you know, retail traders
2: are increasingly playing a more important part, a more important role in this market. And I believe they've shown interest in uranium. Is that still playing out or who is driving this recent surge?
7: Yeah, retail investors have certainly been part of this somewhat sudden interest in uranium and we've seen mentions of uranium stocks spike across social platforms but new data from Vandatrack, which tracks retail trading shows that in the last few weeks retail traders have actually slowed their buying and the firm said that this points to institutional investors as behind the most recent leg higher and this is a classic story of supply and demand after fukushima in 2011 Nuclear fell out of favor, and there was a supply gut, and demand has remained. It dipped, but it has remained. And a Canadian firm, Sprott Asset Management, has been buying up physical uranium, further reducing availability. And so we're seeing just a huge spike in trading, and people betting that nuclear will play a role in the future energy complex. Yeah, that's interesting you say that, because nuclear power has, has of course, been
2: polarizing. It's had its fair share of critics. So why this sudden interest in nuclear power at a time when we're trying to shift towards more ESG.
7: Well, we're seeing some of the hiccups when you transition to solar and wind and because they are intermittent power sources so they can't just be willed up uh, when you need more and nuclear is the only option for green baseload power and so people are saying that if we do want to shift away and cut emissions nuclear has to play a role we're seeing officials in france and japan calling for more build-out, more capacity. But, uh, you know, here in the U.S., there remain a number of political hurdles, and uh, that is playing out across the world as well. So uh, definitely a story to keep following.
2: Yeah, I believe the U.K. recently said that nuclear is key to cutting carbon emissions. Pippa, really interesting stuff. Thanks for joining us this morning. Pippa Stevens. And you can read more of her report on cnbc.com slash pro. Coming up, more on the global energy crunch as our Brian Sullivan sits down for an exclusive conversation with former Saudi energy minister and former Saudi Aramco chairman Khaled Al-Fali, his insights ahead. But first, as we head to break, some of your other top stories. Facebook reportedly plans to rebrand the company with a new name. According to The Verge, the social media giant will make the change next week in a push to better align its brand towards the metaverse CEO Mark Zuckerberg has been focused on as of late. And sticking with social media, Snap CEO Evan Spiegel says companies in that sector must take responsibility over content instead of waiting for regulators to implement laws. This as representatives from Snap, TikTok and YouTube prepare to go before lawmakers next week on social media's impact on kids. Amazon is now offering bonuses of up to $4,000 to attract workers in the UK. The move comes amid overall labor shortages, forcing British businesses to raise wages. There you go. We are back in a moment. Welcome back. The 24th annual Milken Institute Global Conference is underway in Los Angeles. And the ongoing global energy crunch is a key topic of conversation amongst leaders there. Our own Brian Sullivan is there and spoke with former Saudi energy minister and former Saudi Aramco chairman Khalid al uh, Excuse me on that matter. Listen in.
1: There are so many things that are happening in Saudi Arabia now around Vision 2030, but I, I do have to begin by asking you in your previous life as the energy minister, um, what's happening with global energy right now is nothing short of remarkable. We are seeing the possibility of real energy power shortages, uh, gas Coal, etc., in Europe right now. What lessons would you take from the energy transition that from Europe that the rest of the world and the U.S. could and should learn right now?
0: Well, it's remarkable, but it's predictable. Uh, we've spoke about it for many, many years um, in Saudi Arabia that the world has to be cautious. We have to invest in the reliability uh, and sustainability. Uh, of energy for the long term realizing that the transition is going to take decades and not years and it's not a switch that you can turn uh, overnight. So we've been giving the wrong signals to the energy industry, whether it's uh, investors through the ESG mandates that they have been pushing towards, whether it's uh, policy uh, drivers that have been given. We have basically been uh, with good intention but sometimes idealistic uh, uh, aspirations trying to accelerate this transition uh, where, where where just physics and, and the laws of nature would not allow it to happen. This is a multi-decade transition that has to take place. We've stopped investing. Investors have been uh, basically given the signals to the industry not to invest and, and the um, uh, energy industry have been to, you know, giving back money to investors, whether yep. it's buying back shares or excessive uh, dividends and not investing capital, and sometimes taking capital and putting it in that slow growth uh, renewable alternative energies, which is good. But at the same time, we have deprived the lifeblood of, of our economy, of, of the needed investments. In Saudi Arabia, you know, with, with the wisdom of our leadership, we have been committing committed over uh, decades and, and will continue to be committed to providing uh, sustainable, uh, uh, adequate energy for, uh, for the marketplace. But uh, one hand cannot do it alone. We need, no. we need the rest of the global community to heed the, the reality. It's not a warning anymore. It's, it is a reality because, uh, because of the squeeze on, uh, on supply. But the industry is powerful. It can it respond quickly. Uh, given, given, given the current situation. Well,
1: a lot of people may not realize your Excellency, that you are an honorary Texan. You are an Aggie, Texas A&M. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it. <laughs> and, and you look at what's happening in Texas now. Uh, I know gentlemen, I'm sure, you know, Scott Sheffield, the pioneer recently said, if we start pumping more oil, investors will punish us. We need to give the money back to your previous point. Do you think production in Texas is going to come back?
0: I think it started to come back. I don't follow the energy industry any, you know, as much as I used to. It's in the good hands uh, it is of in his your royal blood highness, Prince Abdulaziz, and he's doing a fantastic job. And, and of course, uh, his royal highness uh, keeps a close eye and, and gives the policy uh, pointers to all of us in what we do. Uh, but, but I believe, uh, like, like I said, uh, the energy industry is very resilient very innovative, whether it's in Saudi Arabia, in Texas, uh, in Russia, elsewhere, I think you will see a response to the price signals, to the investor signals, and to the policy signals. What I would like to see is all of them aligned. The price signals is important, but it's not sufficient. Investors need to, to, to also realize that uh, ESG does not mean abandoning the most sustainable energy source that we have today. If you don't have oil and gas, you're going to be burning more coal, you're going to be you know, burning worse forms of fuels to keep people warm and to keep mobility going and, and, and uh, the, the global economy going. So we do need to invest in oil and gas enough while also yeah. growing alternative forms like, like renewables, nuclear, and others which need to contribute.
1: And that's part of Vision 2030, and part, is so much of that, and you've got this huge sustainability initiative. You and I spoke on stage, 10 billion trees, I think, are going to be planted uh, in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, these bold goals. It's easy to put oil on a ship. Part of your plan and His Royal Highness's plan is sustainability, a switch to renewables. Can Saudi Arabia be an exporter of renewable energy as well?
0: Absolutely. Uh, Obviously not as easy, not as readily as existing technologies for exporting hydrocarbons, whether it's crude oil or refined products or or petrochemicals. But we believe through innovation, you can turn the endowment of renewables, which we're blessed with in the kingdom, both solar uh, and wind, into transportable fuels through chemical storage, Methods uh, today that, uh, uh, that are ammonia, both blue and green ammonia, are readily and, hydrogen, and, and hydrogen, of course, is a precursor to, uh, to, to ammonia or methanol or other forms of, of liquid fuels that can be put on a ship. Uh, and in the kingdom, we're committed the world's largest green hydrogen pro- project is being built in Neon in Saudi Arabia, and that is at the heart of Vision 2030. NEOM is defining the future in terms of technology, livability, uh, energy, uh, sustainability. Uh, all of this is being today designed and and, and, you know, uh, and built uh, in, in the kingdom and, and projects uh, like NEOM. And like I said, within a couple of years, uh, you will be seeing green ammonia, green hydrogen exported. We already are, uh, have exported some cargoes of blue ammonia to Japan and, and, and other countries.
2: Brian Sullivan there with former Saudi energy minister. A quick look at oil prices, which remain at multi-year highs. Take a look at Brent crude. It's now up about 20% since, since September, trading right around $84. On deck, investors gearing up for another high-profile day of earnings. RBC Capital's Lori Vasina lays out why continued volatility in stocks could be a good time to buy. She'll tell you which stocks she has her eye on, and if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Time for some some of our big money movers at this hour. And first is Marriott. Washington, D.C.'s attorney general's office accusing the company of making $220 million in resort fees from hotel guests over the last decade without proper disclosure. Marriott telling me no comment on the matter. Shares are fractionally higher here in pre-market. Next, let's turn to BlackBerry. Volume on the Reddit crowd favorite has been soaring as of late. Triple its recent daily average just yesterday. Mentions on Wall Street bets have more than doubled, and the stock is up about 16% this month. And as we focus on energies this morning, take a look at solar stocks really outperforming in October. Some of the sector's key names seeing big gains this month. Enphase and Jinko solar up 22 percent. Solar edge climbing 18 percent. First solar up 11 percent. So clearly some positive momentum in that space. Turning to the broader market with futures mixed, the U.S. 10-year note hitting 1.67 percent. Keep in mind that is the highest since May, and futures are indicating a higher open with the exception of the Dow. Joining us now is Lori Calcevina, head of U.S. equity strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Lori, it's good to see you this morning.
9: Good. Thanks for having me. Good to see you too, Steve.
2: Are you surprised by the turnaround that we've seen in the market? We started this year, started this month, I should say, um, concerned about the Fed tapering, inflationary pressures, and here we are now with a turnaround in the market in the S&P 500 just 1% away from a record high.
9: You know it's it's been an interesting last month or so you know we had been looking for a late year pullback in the s p 500 for quite some time it's something that typically happens when earnings growth is decelerating off sharp early cycle peaks but we were never in the camp that said this was going to be something in the 15 to 20 percent range we always thought it was going to be something more like in the five to ten percent range and i think what's really started to bail us out recently is that yes of course there are supply chain pressures there are still inflationary pressures i think a lot of these are well understood by investors Well, this next week and a half or so will be a very key test of that to see if that's true. Uh, But I think what we're still hearing from companies is that appetite is very, very strong. Demand is very, very strong. And we still expect that next year we're going to be going into a hot economy. And the growth scare talk that fed some of that 20 percent drawdown type commentary, frankly, just proved to be premature.
2: And what do you make of the supply chain constraints that so many companies have referenced in recent weeks?
9: So, look, I, I would not say that I think this is getting better right now by any stretch, but if you look at rate of change as opposed to level on a lot of different indicators, you're starting to see some hints, some glimmers of hope as we've described it. Um, so, if you look at the regional Fed surveys, delivery times, backlogs, and unfulfilled orders, they're still growing, but at slightly slower rates. If you look at freight costs, there's been a lot of noise in the market over the last couple of weeks how those have actually started to edge down. We've tried to remind people on the freight costs in particular that global covid cases are a leading indicator for freight costs by about one to two months. When we saw that decline in global covid cases, it told us to look for some relief in freight costs. And that's exactly what we're getting.
2: Jim Cramer last night on his show said stop freaking out about inflation and look at the companies that benefit from it. He's recommending uh, folks to buy companies like Chevron and the big banks that do well in a rising rate environment. What do you make of that?
9: I think that's great advice. We've been overweight energy and financials all year. We frankly did narrow our bet on the value reflation trade back in August. We pulled down materials to neutral, um, but we like the energy and financial sector because they are part of this value reflation play. They tend to benefit when inflation expectations are rising and rates are going up and the economy is very hot, but they're not at the epicenter of these supply chain issues. So we, we do think that you know, there's some light at the end of the tunnel there, but if you don't take that view, you're really not going to get sucked into that issue in energy and financials.
2: Some of the big industrials are set to report later this week. We have Honeywell, Caterpillar, John Deere. Which names do you like best there?
9: so we don't look at individual names I'm a strategist I'll, I'll get yelled at by my compliance mm-hmm. people if I give you stocks but you know what I have been doing on industrials we've been having a lot of conversations there about upward revisions you have basically moved down to 28 percent upward revisions in the industrial space recently so there are more downward revisions than upward revisions it's a great barometer of sentiment on earnings in the space but it typically bottoms out if you're not in a recession around 20 percent or so so I'm really going to be watching those kinds of names to see frankly if these inflationary pressures if these supply chain pressures are already baked in. I've I've been hearing some chatter about that from investors. And so I think there's a good chance there is.
2: Netflix reported last night. I know you can't talk about individual companies, but there was that strong consumer story that seems to be playing out with a company like that. And I'm wondering if you think that could be something we see from other consumer facing tech companies that get set to report from Facebook to Alphabet uh, next week.
9: You know, what's what's interesting to me about the consumer space broadly, um, and this isn't a comment, you know, sort of on those Internet type names in particular. But if you look back in August at kind of the late reporters that came out from consumer discretionary companies, we felt like we were hearing a lot about the supply chain issues that were plaguing. Some of the more goods producing ones. And at the same time, we were continuing to see, even though things like the University of Michigan sentiment data had plunged, we were still hearing the consumer companies back then telling us, you know, what, the, the underlying consumer is in pretty good shape. Um, And I'll tell you, Sima, the thing that jumped out at me about the bank's earnings last week was that we had a number of companies talking about how much cash consumers have sitting on the sidelines, kind of the strength of consumer balance sheets, much stronger than what we saw pre-pandemic. So I think the consumer's in fantastic shape going forward, and I think that really is a strong underpinning support of this market for the longer term.
2: Yeah, that seems to be what's really fueling the market. The S&P 500 now just 1% away from a record high. Tom Lee at Fundstrat uh, raising his year-end target to 4,800. He says we're now in a more risk-on environment. What's your, uh, what's your year-end target for the S&P?
9: So we're at 4,500 for this year. So we're kind of, you know, neutralish in the short term. We don't rule out further volatility. You know, it it seems like the end of the year is here. There's a lot of time left in play, particularly on the policy side. But we're at 4,900 for next year on the S&P. So we've said if we do get further volatility between now and year end, we'd be buying the dip. We think longer term investors are still going to make money in stocks next year.
2: S&P 500 at 45.19. Earnings on deck today will be Tesla, among other names. Lori, it's great to see you this morning. Thank you for joining us. Lori Calvicina of RBC Capital Markets. Thanks for having me. And that does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Thank you for joining me. I'm Seema Modi. Squawk Box is next.
1: You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern, only on
5: CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery,